The autopsy has officially started on Toronto FC after their season flatlined on Saturday following a 2-1 loss to the Vancouver Whitecaps. Their mathematical elimination from the playoffs will surely mean plenty of fallout, even if they are hoping. It is just a blip in what has been an otherwise successful past few years. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast. This is our 30th ever episode, and we have a special post-mortem Toronto FC edition coming at you today. Joining me is Kevin Kennedy, the founder and president of Homestand Sports, the parent company for this podcast. Kevin is also a Toronto FC season seat holder, so he'll be playing the role of you guys this week on the podcast. I'm sure he's got plenty of questions as to what exactly went wrong for Toronto FC this season. Kevin, thanks for joining the show. No problem. It's good to be here. Yeah, and before we uh, kind of get into the less fun stuff, <laughs> talking about Toronto FC, um, if you guys want to get in on the conversation yourself, we'll have plenty of Toronto FC experts at our Footy Talks event coming up on Thursday at the Rivoli, starting at 7. Kevin, uh, what can people expect from that event? Yeah, we've got a, a big event happening um, to celebrate the launch of uh, a book by our friend Josh Cloak. He wrote a book uh, called Come On You Reds, um, that I think is detailing uh, a bit of a better um, like season <laughs> than, uh, than this one. So it'll be, I think the event is like, it's kind of like part wake, part celebration of life. <laughs> um, so I think it'll be a lot, a lot of fun. Gareth Wheeler and uh, Terry Dunfield will also be on hand doing a live recording of their podcast. So that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that description, part wake, uh, you know, part celebration of life because, uh, you know, for me it was always kind of hard to separate the two seasons because you always felt, I mean, you look at the lineup and the lineup's almost exactly the same. There's maybe a couple names that are different, but it it was almost the exact same the entire season. Um, Yet when you watch the games, the the players weren't performing the same, the team wasn't performing the same at all. Um, and now they're officially eliminated from the playoffs. That just seems weird to say, doesn't it, Kevin? Yeah, like I, you know, like you mentioned in the intro, I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> um, I think that I was really happy with the moves that they did in in the off season. I I didn't want them to go in, into the you know the season with the same the same lineup. I always think it's good to have some new blood, uh, no matter how good you were. But, um, yeah, like, I was just thinking uh, the other day about that game, I think it was against Houston, really early on. Mm-hmm. They got blown out like 5 nothing. Yeah. Remember that game? Yeah, when they uh, basically sat everyone, like, with the – played the Toronto FC2 players because, uh, you know, they, they were so focused on the Champions League at that point. Yeah, so yes, yeah, so, so I've heard that narrative obviously, right? The Champions mm-hmm. League narrative. But maybe you can shed some light on on just, you know, fitness. And were the games just not spread out enough? Like our is our team is it just about depth? Uh is it about fitness? What is it about? Like why that team that we fielded in that game was so we we definitely just did not try to win, mm-hmm. right? And this happens in basketball too, right? They set their stars. Um, 
but there's so many more games in basketball that each game isn't as important. So I just I look back at that game and and that sort of that run at the beginning of of, of the year, and I, I really I really question it. Um, but from your point of view, was that just what they had they had to do? And is it more about is it a you know should we be criticizing the coach for the tactics? Should we be criticizing the team fitness, or is it just a depth issue? Yeah, I mean, it's so tough to know kind of what's going on internally because they do have a sports science department, of course, that's telling them certain things like, you know, this player has this much workload. We think if he if he does any more, he might uh, risk the potential of being injured. So we don't know exactly what Greg Banny is being told internally in terms of uh, who he should be playing. Um, I, th- I think very, very certainly if if you're looking at a point in this season that Toronto FC wants to fix it's that start of the year and they've they've already talked a lot about um, you know how they balance their schedule there how they struggled to uh, to keep players fit and they have already made some moves I know uh, again you mentioned Joshua Cloak uh, he had an article about a fitness company that Toronto FC uh, has kind of brought in and and are talking to and getting consultation from to better understand the numbers that they get out of um, you know, they have all these tracking devices that they put on players to better understand how they can manage minutes for players because, yeah, I think very obviously in the in the early start of the season and at the time I definitely defended that um, that decision to to rest the players because I do think the Champions League is, at least this season, was the most important competition where Toronto FC were playing in. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely... It'll be interesting to see what they do next year, and thankfully, there if there, if there's one saving grace in the season, it's that they are afforded that opportunity to to kind of try and do it all over again. Yeah, no, I agree. It's I agree that it if if you have to choose, right? If you're saying one or the other in those games, which games to play the stars in? I, I definitely agree. But as a I'm a sports fan in, in general, so mm-hmm. I follow all sports. So. It's it's a very hard thing to understand when it's a pro team and and you know they 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 their players can't play every game, but maybe that's just that's just the reality of 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 soccer. Yeah, like, you know, some of their guys were sad; they weren't injured, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to some degree it's a it's a reality of soccer. Obviously, you look at it in comparison to. Uh, say a hockey or or other sports and obviously those are more intense you know 20 minutes that uh, you know Austin Matthews would be playing a night but compared to a 90 minutes you know there is wear and tear and um, different fields as well I mean one of the biggest things honestly and uh, maybe uh, we'll see what your opinion of this is as a fan is the is the surface at BMO Field and how much you know this wasn't even really an issue last season in in 2017 when everything was going well yeah it was never talked about it was swept under the surface it seemed almost like it was you know they'd finally figured it out and uh they they were able to balance the argos well but we saw from the start of the season and then perhaps even more worryingly when they replaced the turf after may it it was still i mean i was there on saturday that's a horrible field that like that's the worst I, i think i've ever seen it so what did you what did you notice like from the press box you could see some problems? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it just looks dug up by, you know, you can tell kind of where the football 
Uh, well, the football cleats have all dug in. Uh, they've put a lot of sand on the pitch, which I know is something Sebastian Javinko uh, has consistently complained about. It, you know, it kind of it changes the the consistency of the pitch and the way things have, um, you know, the ball rolls, uh, the way it bounces up on the players sometimes. Um, it's a hard thing to understand, obviously, you know, maybe hockey, you can understand it if you have bad ice or say, uh, you know, in Brooklyn when they were trying to have the Islanders there, but it's, it's so difficult to, to try and explain it. Cause obviously in football or, or basketball, it's, it's not that big of an issue, you know, the surface. Right. Plus they're playing on some weird surfaces out in Minnesota. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what it's, what it's like in, in Houston or any of those markets, but yeah, like I would say as a fan, I was mostly what would frustrate me the most mm-hmm. watching every game almost is was the defense and that's not a it's not a shocker. <laughs> um but in terms of like what do you think that they're going to do to address that and is it it's not just me, right? It's not like I mean it's not just me or you know S- Stephen Caldwell. Um <laughs> it's obviously like when I see like when they were talking about, well, if they if they win the next like you know six games, they'll get in to the playoffs. I I was thinking, well, who cares? When they have um, this this like, defense, when Zavaleta's out there, right, just lying down on the ground, <laughs> right, like who cares? We're we gonna get creamed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Have you heard that they need to address that? They're going to I think that, uh, that from from the brass. Yeah, I, th- I I don't know if uh, I've heard it in exact terms. I know that's uh, look like team defending is certainly they're they're not dumb. Obviously, team defending is something that they've brought up on several occasions, uh, and I think that that Zavaleta moment you mentioned might be one of the one of the like uh, gifable moments that kind of explains the entire season. This reminds me a lot of the the 2015 season for Toronto FC, where obviously they snuck into the playoffs and got creamed by Montreal in the in the opening round in their first ever playoff season, where um, they could do a ton of stuff offensively and they they had all the offensive talent there, but it didn't matter because it all got undone by how poor they were defensively. I think uh, again, injuries are such a huge part of this, and obviously Drew Moore has been uh, heavily injured this season, Chris Mavinga as well, but I think that very clearly we found out that neither Nick Hagland or Eric Zavaleta are central pieces to a defensive line in MLS, and, and anyone else below that line, Jason Hernandez, who they brought in and I don't know, didn't even use for whatever reason, um, I, I'm still confused by that, but they brought in you know, both Zavaleta and Hagland just didn't look ever when they were kind of the central pieces of a back line, like they were able to control it vocally, like they were able to work well with their midfield. Um, and I think we found this out kind of throughout the Toronto FC lineup that maybe some of those depth pieces that they they thought they could count on just didn't deliver. Yeah, and I think it was, it was really weird to drop Riley back there. Like, I really didn't like him that deep. What do you think? Yeah, I never really, uh, I, I never really understood that. I mean, it, obviously, it made sense in the Champions League final, which is where he honestly played his best game as a center back. Um, I, I think they, I think Vanny liked the idea of having a player back there who could pass the ball really well and kind of start that point of attack. And obviously, Bradley is a player who is solid defensively and can do a job back there. But 
you know, even if even if he is say on par with Zavaleta or Hagland, it's such a waste of the abilities that you have in Michael Bradley, where he's a bit further up the field, he can dictate the tempo of the game. And one of the things Make we more saw chances too, right? Exactly, yeah. One of the things we yeah. saw with Bradley, um, you know, even on Saturday when he got moved back into that that midfield role, is how good he is at those recovering tackles. When he's behind yeah. a player, they can't see him, and he sneaks in and takes the ball away. There's, uh, I think, a famous moment against Columbus last year in the playoffs, and this was honestly one of the turning points in Toronto FC's playoff run, where I think it was uh, Harrison Affle was played through all alone. And Bradley comes running through and tackles him from behind, and obviously gets the ball. Yeah, Yeah, and the stadium went nuts. Everyone understood that moment. You can't make those tackles when players are in front of you. You have to, you know. So that ability to support the defense is completely taken away when he's a center back. So I agree. That was, I think, Greg Vanny made a lot of confusing lineup decisions. And again, we don't know fully who was available to him at all points in the season. But that was by far and away the most confusing for me. So okay, so why don't we know? Like, what? What's? Why are they withholding that inf- information? Is it just like they don't want to talk about injuries, or right? Like, are they? Is the TFC brass right? Mm-hmm. Are they looking at his? Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I don't want him fired or anything. But are they looking at his decisions and saying, "Wow, like, what do they know that we don't know?" And are you saying they know a lot more than we know? Because why are you so confused? I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. Should I get you know confused about anything? You know, but why are you confused? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, well, I think one of the things that that very clearly happened this season, and I've said this over and over again, is that Greg Vanny got very cautious with with players' injuries when they were returning, when they were. Uh, you know, when they worked a lot of minutes, everyone with probably the exception of Michael Bradley, because uh, it's been very well documented that Michael Bradley's legs can can withstand a lot more than just about any other player in world soccer. Um, he just got super cautious, and you could see this. I know there was a game against the Portland Timbers where they went away, um, and they had a big home game against LAFC the next week. And, you know, with the travel, they were going cross-country. I think they had the Voyagers Cup game right in between that. And even though there were a bunch of players who weren't necessarily um, fully injured, Greg Vanny didn't risk any of them. He played a very much second Toronto FC lineup. They lost, um, and, you know, everything kind of went, continued. I mean, it was already going downhill, but uh, they lost the home game as well. So I wonder if he was just super cautious. And the other thing is, I think there were a lot of injuries where they weren't just maybe pure injuries. They were, you know, players who were still struggling with things throughout the season. We know Victor Vasquez's back was very bad through the start of the season. And so he'd come in for maybe 70 minutes and then they'd take him off. So uh, so that while those injuries maybe weren't, you know, fully reportable in the way that, say, Drew Moore, you know, messing up his knee was he'll be out for a month. Uh, I think they've been managing kind of smaller injuries all season. And, yeah, it's it's very much not ideal uh, either as covering the team or as a fan because uh, I think there's been some head scratchers this season that maybe if if we were in charge of the team, we'd understand a little more in terms of lineup decisions. Right. Yeah. So so you said he's been cautious. Mm -hmm. What about how Mavinga and Moore both came back and then went out again? Were those new injuries? Was it the same injury? What happened there? Um, I think those were new injuries as well. Um, 
for for the most part. I think especially with Drew Moore uh, at this point as well. I think you know there's there's just little reason to risk guys like that. Um, obviously, one of the problems for Toronto FC has been how many games they've played, not just this year, but over the past few years. They've been to two straight finals. Uh, they had something like 40 days. That's what you'll consistently hear in terms of their break. So uh, I think especially late in the season like this with guys like Drew Moore and Chris Mavinga, I don't know if there's much reason to play them anymore. You might as well see maybe what you have in, in some of the other options in defense uh, outside of, of Zavaleta and Hagland. I know they have some young guys under contract that potentially they could could take a look at so you know there's no reason to to really bring them back at this point and uh rush them and uh you might as well just get ready for next season with drew moore and uh and Mavinga back there consistently would would vanny have bradley back there too or would he would he be able to push him up no i think he'd certainly be able to push him up like again this is something that it's more of a necessity move from from vanny but um I guess I didn't fully understand like how how many players he needed in his lineup to be healthy as in terms of center backs to put Bradley back there because you know like I said against Chivas they literally didn't have in the Concacaf final they literally didn't have a healthy center back but the past few weeks when he's been at center back they've had center backs on the bench that seemed you know to to my be- the best of my knowledge ready to go so no, in his first choice eleven, uh, Michael Bradley is still a is still that holding midfielder. But um, yeah, I think that you know if if things are are going tough with the defense, but I think at that point you just have to bring in more defensive depth. Uh, it reminds me of Torsten Frings back in uh, back in the yeah. kind of older years when they they completely wasted him because they played him as a center back when realistically he's not doing much back there for you in terms of his overall potential. Right, right, right. Um, I, who do you think is who's your uh, like biggest disappointment hmm. as a player this year? That's a good question. Um, I think it has to be someone in the back line. I'll, I'll give you two. Um, I think Eric Zavaleta. You know, as much as um, you know, I, I think the defensive issues are systematic. I, I think. As as well as we look at the defenders, I think too much we don't look at kind of the composition of the midfield, how they didn't have enough defensive, you know, especially with once they move Bradley back, then who's covering his spot in the in the midfield there defensively? Um, you know, I, I really thought in 2017 Zavaleta was an underrated key to what Toronto FC were able to do. He's such a good defender positionally, generally. Uh, especially with Drew Moore next to him. He he was able to shut down some very big players in, in big games. And obviously the the playoff run for Toronto FC, their offense kind of went quiet for a while and they were still able to get through. And I thought Zavaleta was key to that. Um, so I was disappointed to to you know kind of see how much he struggled this season and maybe that's a confidence issue. Maybe, you know, like I said, he just doesn't have the ability to step to that next level. Um, the other player would be Alex Bono. I think Alex Bono is a player who came into the season highly rated. Uh, there's all kinds of talk about interest in him from Europe. He's a U.S. men's national team player and, and is in that conversation for a future keeper for them. And uh, he said it himself. He just completely lost confidence in his abilities. Uh, and, and it was clear. I mean, he used to be a keeper that would, you know, kind of save Toronto FC in occasions and again that playoff run he made all kinds of saves that um, if he doesn't stop those shots Toronto FC lose this year 
there was all kinds of errors that we've never seen before from Alex Bono. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It seemed to be like he was he was still okay on, on the first shot, but he would give up a ton of rebounds mm-hmm. and where I should have just you know squeezed the ball. Um, and, yeah, when I looked up and I saw Clint Irwin in that game, I mean, in, in the game against Minneapolis when he got chipped like five times. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw him. Then they put him in like the next game or something, right? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that, that's a bit of a head stretcher. And I know that it was, it was, you know, because Bono had no confidence, but it it just kind of showed our depth, right? Um, or you know, lack of it, um, especially when we had guys go down this year. Another guy for 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 me was Morrow. I mean, a good point, maybe yeah. last year, maybe last year was an anomaly, but he used to, you know, he scored a ton of goals last year, and. Not that he, you know, you don't expect him to score, you know, every every year at that pace, but uh, it, it, he was definitely a somebody that the other, the other team had to worry about. And this year, it seemed like, you know, he was much more again defensive, or he just wasn't really, you know, creating. Uh, did you see the same stuff? Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, Justin Moore was so key to kind of giving Toronto FC that secondary offense last year. Uh, in terms of a threat that you know you you prepared for, but you weren't really. I think he had something like eight goals or something like that. Um, I th- I think it, again, yeah. it's probably the defensive issues. The fact that you know he he's he at this point would be so worried about how how poorly the team's been doing at the back that um, you know you can't necessarily as a player you you don't want to take as many risks and get forward and those great runs I mean that's that's I was really a key to Toronto's offense was him making those secondary runs into the box they don't have another player that really does that uh, Arrow for as good as he is offensively uh, likes to get a little wider and playing crosses and maybe try and beat people from the byline instead of making those direct runs uh, honestly if a player has kind of replaced that it's been Osorio he's made those those direct runs and yeah. we've seen what happened there what's happened there but yeah, Justin Morrow's been been very quiet this season, and again, I think that kind of has to do with um, injury in some ways. I mean, he, he, he again with every Toronto C player, you can bring up some kind of injury, but I, I think that it's been more defensive that he's he just doesn't want to uh, want to risk getting up. Yeah, so what do you think they're going to do next year or in the off season? Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, I, I might flip this on you quickly because. Yeah. Uh, there has been obviously one of the biggest talking points in in, in the Toronto, you know, around Toronto FC right now is the is some quotes from Josie Altidore after the game against Vancouver that uh, struck basically all the media who were there as kind of bizarre, um, basically kind of unprompted when they when they asked him about how Toronto FC will bounce back this next season. He said, "It all depends on how we come back next year if we're all around, and if not." It's been an absolute pleasure to come to a club that wasn't known for its success and to turn things around. To see the joy in this city, the soccer fans here that stuck with this team for a lot of years, I'm very proud that I could come and be a part of some very special times, not only for Toronto FC, but for for the league as well. And then, you know, reporters were obviously, uh, we were all a little confused by that because that sounds like he's he's leaving. So someone straight up asked him, do you expect to be around next year? And he said... Uh, it's not in my hands. Uh, I've tried to show it every night I step on the field at BMO since 2015 when I arrived to give everything I could all the time. I've tried to play for the fans, for my family, for everyone who followed this club from day one. 
I've done what I can. If my future isn't here, then it's been nothing but a pleasure. And I thank all the fans for all their support through the years. Um, so, you know, obviously he still has a year under contract and there has been some talk of, of maybe fan or maybe teams in La Liga and, and other leagues interested in his services, um, Liga MX as well. So, you know, what would, what would that mean to you if Josie isn't back next season? Because, uh, those quotes are, are very bizarre, especially since they were very much unprompted. Nobody really asked him um, about his future with the club until he, he delivered that first quote, and it sounded like he was kind of giving his farewell statement. Yeah. Well, like, it, it, it's, so hard to, it's so hard to value these guys because we don't really know what market, like who's out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a moving target. So... Obviously, like he, you know, he's been great, and and you know, with, when he's not on on the field, it, it feels like we don't have much of a chance. Um, just because he's a great compliment to Jovinko, I think you know he's power and a little bit of finesse too, um, and he just really, it's just it's hard to contain those two guys, right? Because they're so different. So how do you plan against it? So I, I love that combo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's become injury prone, and. He, I mean, he's not disciplined either. So, like, I mean, if he were to leave, um, it would depend on who we get back, obviously. Um, do you know something I don't know in, in, in terms of who's out there? Is, is, he, is he, like, someone that has such a distinct way of playing in the MLS that is really hard to, to, to replace? Or, or do you think that we could find somebody um, that could be on, you know, on Jovinko's side, you know, like that and sort of compliment him in the way that, that Josie has? I mean, I personally want, you know, it, it could just be posturing on, on his part. He could be after a new contract, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know how, if if he like if he wants to stay in North America or not. He's like, what, he's like 29 now or something? Or is I think 28, like yeah. That? Yeah, so I think, you know, he's probably got one more big, you know, contract, I, I would say. So this is probably why he's posturing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean... In terms of replacing him, that's that's incredibly difficult because, like you said, there's there's the obvious power with which is you know what players like him are are brought in to do. They're the the target man. They uh, can bring down balls out of the air, and that's one of the things that obviously is missing when he's not there. Is uh, Toronto FC doesn't really have an out ball. They can't play the ball long without knowing that it's going to come right back at them. But if Josie's there, he can win those balls. He creates a ton of space for Javinko. Um, and he has, as you said, that chemistry with Javinko. Uh, but he isn't just that player. I mean, he's got a finesse to his game that is very rare of players, um, you know, certainly of that, you know, of that uh, height and uh, and size. The target man usually isn't as good with his feet as Josie Altidore is and usually isn't as smart tactically as Altidore is as well. So uh, he'd be a very difficult player to replace. Now, the thing kind of, uh, there's two things working behind the scenes that might potentially um, be involved with him. And again, like you said, it could be posturing, but uh, there have been some reports that MLS would be removing a designated player spot for from this uh you know, for this year, so they could um, kind of take the money away from paying a player top dollars and put it to the middle of the lineup. So you could have maybe three or four more million dollar players instead of one seven million or, or six and a half, I think, which is what Josie makes. 
So that could be it. And also the new player they brought in, Lucas Hansen, uh, who's done quite well here. Um, it's going to be pretty hard to keep him, even if they, you know, uh, unless they move someone out, uh, considering what we've heard about his salary and what the transfer fees would be for him. So um, those are the two things that are working behind the scenes. I still would be a little surprised if, if Josie leaves, but uh, I think like everyone, those comments caught me completely off guard. Yeah, for sure. I want him to stay. Like, I think, I think he's, he's important for this team and I would, I would love for him to stick around. Um, I think you can build, build around him. He's still young. Um, and yeah, I like him. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I definitely agree. I think, uh, if anyone has stepped up in the big moments, I, I think it's been Josie Altidore. Uh, we've seen that in the MLS Cup playoffs. He's obviously scored a, obviously scored a hat trick this year in the Voyagers Cup. Um, you know, obviously was injured during during Concacaf Champions League, but when he was on the field, he uh, was a very important player. Scored in the final. I think he might have scored in every round as well. Um, so yeah, I think. You know, if you can keep him around, um, and maybe I'll turn this on you as well. How much of the core do you think they should keep together? If if you know players like Josie and Michael and Seba obviously are all staying, um, because you know th- this is a core that has shown in 2016 and 2017 that it can be successful in MLS, but it's also getting a lot older. And we've seen teams like Atlanta, um, like the New York Red Bulls, the more successful teams in MLS are now averaging age of around 25 as as the league kind of gets younger and and works more towards academy development and buying younger players so they can eventually sell on. Um, you know, do, do you think Toronto should kind of still again try and supplement this this? core with different pieces and and pieces that might help them uh, a little bit more or should they at least look at moving some of the some of the central players um so this doesn't happen again yeah so what's hard is is that like you i've suffered through um with this team since day one right and a lot of bad teams but mostly a lot of just mediocre uh, teams right that was just you know the only thing to look forward to at the games is just was the atmosphere and the drinking, <laughs> um, and it's really only the last three seasons that I've actually enjoyed watching the soccer. Um, so it would I I don't think like I really love when teams are stable, um, if if possible I I would like to keep the man the coach I would like to keep the core. Um, you know, I I think Vasquez. You know, as if if his back issues are like, I I think I think he's great. Um, I really think that though, if we need to move around some money so that we have better defensive players, mm. um, I think we have to do that. I can't watch that. I can't watch Hagland, and I can't watch Zavaleta again. It, it's it's bad. So I would love them to rejig the lineup so they just have more money. Uh, on the back end, um, I think Vanderbilt has been has been criticized, but I think he's been I think he's been fine. Um, I think like he he didn't have a lot of options, and, and he's been been playing again with a weak lineup. And I think that defense and the lack of confidence that Bono had in himself and that the team had in him, it affects everything, right? Mm-hmm. It affects the offense. It affects all the risk taking. It affects the confidence in the team. Um, I think a guy like Delgado has to play better. Um, I love seeing Osorio this year. I, you know, last I was not a fan of his. I I didn't think he was very creative um, in years past. 
but this year he 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 played a kind like he was he kind of gave me that the same confidence as I used to get with Altidore, and I still mm. do. When Altidore is in there, he's gonna score. You know what I mean? And I don't like. I lost that with Jovinko this year. He had so many shots and misses. <laughs> I mean, his 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 penalties have been terrible too. Um, but like. I would be very, very careful to shake up that core as much as it's sort of attractive to get something new and stuff like that. I don't think you can replace that value in this league. Um, you know, I don't, like I said before, I don't know, you know, the market is not something that is visible. You don't know who's, who's available on, on teams or from Europe or from Mexico. Right. Um, so I, I would, I'm, I'm very tentative just to say that we should move anybody. I think if Drew Moore's back, if Mavinga's back, you know, and we just add in, we just get a little bit more depth there. And maybe that's where you go for a bit of a youth movement, right? Mm-hmm. There is the sort of back end depth. Um, so yeah, th- that's my two cents on that front. Yeah. And it's always risky as well to, to, you know, kind of bring in players from abroad. And the one thing that Josie and Michael and, and Sebo obviously have going for them is that they have very clear proven track records in MLS, whereas, you know, you could always end up with another Jermaine Defoe that doesn't really want to be here. And uh, there's all sorts of problems off the field. So it's incredibly risky to to try and replace players like this, especially when, um, you know, they clearly still are are at least mostly performing up to standard and still have that ability. So uh, I think I agree for the most part that you got to keep the the core together with, again, I think you're spot on with saying uh, if you can shift around some, some money a little bit to work uh, either in adding more of a defensive midfielder or straight up to the center back core, I think you have to do that uh, with the way things have been going. You've been in the stands this season, obviously. What's what's the vibe kind of been like? Because it's been bizarre up in the press box. Uh, in some ways, uh, I, I don't like the press box because I can't fully hear what's going on during the uh, MLS Cup playoffs. It was a little annoying sometimes when uh, you get kind of the muted roar when you wanted the full stadium atmosphere. But this year, it's been noticeably different. There's been uh, you know some empty seats. There's obviously been that one section in the south end that's been um cleared out so what's the what's the atmosphere been like on the field because it's obviously been a very bizarre year for toronto fc yeah i think i mean so i think i think the fans had the same issue as as the players by the by the time the season you know began uh, we had like fatigue Mm -hmm. like when was that that first game was march march something yeah i think like the first or even february right it was like oh yeah, yeah right yeah yeah february Maybe like the, the 22nd second against uh, against Colorado away. But, yeah, then there was the home leg like a week later. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I had a ton of fun up there. I, I remember, you know, we scored a goal um, in that, and I ended up like three rows down because of all the jumping and we just started, everybody started like falling down and beers were going everywhere. And it was great, you know. But come April, I had gone – I felt like I had gone to like six games, which is, which is great, right? But it's hard to maintain – um, that same kind of energy, um, you know, day in and day out, right? Mm. So I'll tell you, you know, from my experience, there's a lot of different faces. I'm in section 110, which is uh, a supporter section in, in the corner there, and, and a lot of season ticket holders. So you see a lot of the same faces. But this year, by midway through, you, you tell a lot, of, a lot of seats were going up on StubHub because mm. you were seeing a lot of different people in there. Um, you know, but ultimately uh, the, the atmosphere is the reason why I started going and it's still great. The fans are great. 
um i i really enjoy it uh yeah we you know i do miss the energy from danny briati um but but you know like they came in also with a lot of you know a lot of anger and a lot of a lot of uh you know like negative you know energy too when it came to their their away games and i mean that's got no place in in uh in in like modern sports i don't think so um, so I don't like miss them too much, but, but I do miss, you know, them driving the chance. Um, and I do think that like as a whole, the, the, you know, when, when we watch games, I'm sure you, you know, you watch the, the BPL, you know, the EPL and, and, uh, it's just nice to hear whole stadium singing, you know, yeah in Manchester and stuff. And I know, listen, yeah, comparing us to, to Man United is, is, is crazy, but, um, I really think we have to do more to get the whole stadium into it. Because, I mean, listen, it's cold, <laughs> and I would never go go to a, a, a TFC game if I couldn't stand. You know, um, I think it's just so much more fun, um, especially when games are on that that you know the soccer isn't uh, isn't that great, <laughs> or the team's playing bad. Um, it keeps you warm. Um, so I would I would love there to be a little bit more energy in you know the whole stadium as as a whole and and that kind of happens naturally right last year it happened organically it was just so much buzz I was going to games like an hour and a half ahead of time right to go over to the Bud Truck mm-hmm. and hang out so so I want that back um, so I'm excited about next year um, you know my wallet is happy about about no playoffs <laughs> um, but I really like watching soccer in cold weather. Um, it's just something about it is just is just great. Um, so so yeah, so I missed the playoffs this year for sure. And before we wrap up, kind of speaking about your wallet, there has been much uh, much groaning among Toronto FC fans among or about the fact that there will be a an increase in in the amount you have to pay for season seats next season. Um, the figures I've heard reported at least are ten percent. Uh, mostly across the board it can get up to 20 percent in some of the more uh premium sections of the stadium according to neil davidson of the canadian press do you think this is fair considering uh, i mean obviously uh in any cup competition they did fairly well they got to the final of the of the champions league and won the canadian championship again but for the vast majority of games that fans saw at bmo field this season Toronto FC wasn't very good. They they looked a lot more like the old Toronto FC that uh, we'd unfortunately gotten used to than the, this new brand that we've we've watched. So, um, do you think that's fair considering the results? The the Toronto Brass have kind of called this. They're thinking this is going to be the the blip in the radar season. Um, right. You know. So so do you think that um, that's kind of fair? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I think of it in in terms of like fair and unfair. I mm-hmm. I think that. You know, um, there's no denying that the ownership, you know, like if, you know, the leaf take, like if you compare the tickets, right, to, to what kind of, of entertainment I get, I get way more, more value from going to a, a TFC game than, than a, than a leaf game. Mm. Um, just in terms of atmosphere, entertainment, um, it's just, you know, so in, in Toronto, I, I think, I think, especially for, for someone like me who, who's been out, been around since season one. So I'm still paying a reduced rate because they, they've kept it down based on season one uh, prices. So right. it's hard for me to complain. Um, but ultimately, like, I think, I think the, the market will tell them if it's fair or not. Um, if we see another season, you know, next year, like I don't expect the home opener next year to be sold out or at least to be full, in full attendance unless they make some big signings. Mm-hmm. So, 
the, so the fans will tell them if it's fair or not. Um, I I wouldn't if I were them I wouldn't get too too confident because they they haven't had a sustained amount of success right mm-hmm. they've had you know overall they've had two seasons kind of two and a half seasons of success so it might not be a good time to do it but ultimately I mean we are we are in Toronto and Toronto is very expensive a place to to live to be so I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, fair enough. Um, this has been a lot of fun, though. I think this uh, has got me well prepped for the Footy Talks event on Thursday, which I imagine will be somewhat similar. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of fans with a lot of questions there. So uh, thanks for hopping on, Kevin. Yeah, no problem at all, Mitch. Talk to you later. Yeah, and on top of the the Footy Talks event this week, we mentioned um, there's also a new podcast launching tomorrow. We'll debut the La Liga show. Um, which we'll talk about the most interesting league in the world, that being the Spanish League. I'll have a rotating cast of co-hosts, much like this show. Uh-huh, and we're going to talk about what's already been a very wild 2018-19 season in Spain. You won't want to miss it.